In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. Hey, DSD listeners, this episode of Diet Starts Tomorrow with guest Dr. Mike was recorded on Wednesday, March 18th, so things may have changed with the corona crisis since then. However, all of the advice from Dr. Mike is still relevant to keeping you safe and sane in this crazy time. As you know, we're all stuck at home recording remotely, so the audio may get a little shaky at times, so just please forgive us for any imperfections. We're really trying here, so... On to the episode. Betches Media presents... I really want to lose three pounds. Yeah, no, don't put me down for cardio. Diet starts tomorrow. Exercise gives you endorphins. Endorphins make you happy. I want to quit the gym. gym. Happy people just don't shoot their husbands. With hosts Aileen Cooperman... Joey doesn't share food! And Sammy Fishbein. Whatever, I'm getting cheese fries. Hello, welcome to Diet Starts Tomorrow. I'm Aileen. I'm Sammy. And we have an amazing guest. And yes, we are recording remotely again. We're trying to improve every recording, um, working from home. But today we have an amazing guest. Um, we have Dr. Mike, Dr. Mike Barshavsky. He's a board-certified family medicine physician in New York City. He has 3.5 million followers on Instagram, popular YouTube channel with over 5 million subscribers. And you guys have probably seen him in a lot of our videos. So welcome, Dr. Mike. Thank you for that very warm welcome. I feel even warmer nowadays when we're all quarantined inside our homes. <laughs> do you feel warmer or do you feel like, do you feel people are more connected or less connected? I feel the fact that we've, do, we've participated in the social distancing situation so well that it shows solidarity. So I feel the warmth. Yeah, I feel the same way, actually. I feel like because... You know, normally we're just like going about our lives, kind of like thinking about whatever our priorities are. And now I feel like I've been more in touch with people, calling like family more. So, I mean, not this is not a good situation at all, but at least that's happening. So, I mean, it's pretty impressive to be able to look out my window. I live on 42nd Street in a high rise and there are no people on the street. There are no cars out. I've never seen it so empty. So the fact that we're able to organize this effectively, it's honestly surprising to me, but reassuring that we can make something like this happen. Yeah, I went for, I actually went for a run in the park this morning and there were quite a few people out, but I think people were trying to stay like isolated from each other. Like you would see a few people stop and talk to each other, but they'd be standing like comically far apart. So <laughs> that is at least a good sign. That yeah, because this is like a, a lot of people will think this is like a sci-fi movie where if you go outside, you're going to get the virus. It's not like that. Um, you can be running. You can be walking your dog. In fact, it's encouraged to go outside. Obviously, don't go outside into Times Square where there's thousands of people all around you. But if you want to go to your local park and it's, you know, six feet apart from other people, you're fine. That's that's I, I actually heard Times Square is a desert, so it is. <laughs> actually, yeah, it might be a good place to go. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it looks like a scene of I'm Sam or Legend. Not I'm Sam's. Wow, movie. two very different movies. <laughs> <laughs> Both 
both very good though. <laughs> yes, both good. I agree. So while we're while we're on that topic of it being okay to go outside, can we let's dive into the questions? Let's do it. Um, yeah. One thing, just because this is sort of on topic, one thing that I read um, in the past few days is that people are now saying that the virus is airborne. So mm-hmm. could you clarify what it means for a virus to be airborne and what precautions that we would have to take knowing that now? From a practical standpoint, um, all it should mean is that you limit your exposure to crowded places. Because when we say airborne, we don't mean that this virus is traveling across the air. And if someone sneezes on the first floor of my building, it's now going to fly in the air and get everyone contaminated in New York City. That's not how it works. When we say airborne, we're talking about aerosolized virus particles meaning that literally the virus, when you sneeze, when you cough, it hangs in the air for a period of time. The longest that we have seen is three hours in experiments. So basically what can happen, and again, this is like very hypothetical and scientific and it hasn't been proven that it actually gets people sick, is if someone sneezes in a room indoors and then you walk into that room 30 minutes later, it's possible that you'd be exposed to the virus through the air because the germs have hang time. They actually hang on into the air for a period of time. But that's not something we should be concerning ourselves over. That's more of uh, something that we need to think about in healthcare settings when we're treating patients who have this virus to make sure that we don't contaminate the entire hospital, less so for us to deal with on a daily basis. So can you just explain how, like, if that's the situation and and people are able to go for a run or walk their dog or something like that, how is it not possible that, like, say your mouth is open like while you're walking around, that it wouldn't just like kind of fly directly into your mouth. <laughs> Again, the, the study that I'm talking about that found the three hour time frame was indoors. Uh, outdoors, the sun is the world's natural disinfectant because of its UV rays. So the fact that you're outside, that already decreases the lifespan of the virus. We haven't seen a study of how long it lives outdoors, but I'm confident with wind, with the humidity levels, the temperature changes, it's not going to have the stability that it has indoors. So that's not something you, could, you, could, you should concern yourself with uh, about being outdoors. In fact, when we see places like San Francisco order a shelter-in-place um, condition for, pay, uh, for people, they say, don't go outdoors. They don't say, don't go outdoors at all. They say, absolutely go for a walk. Absolutely go to the park. Absolutely walk your dog. It's about just limiting gatherings. It's limiting why you're going outdoors. It's not to go outside and just hang out and loiter on the street because then then a lot of people will start doing that simultaneously. Now you have crowding and then that becomes an issue. So this isn't a sci-fi movie. No need to panic, alert, not anxious, all that good stuff. Great to know. Can you tell us also just like give us some context about your day-to-day as a doctor and a provider? Are you working in a hospital um, Do you or do you see patients at private practice? Yeah, so I see patients uh, as part of Atlantic Medical Group. One of my offices is in Overlook Medical Center. It's a hospital in Summit, New Jersey. The other office is in Chatham Family Medicine, uh, also in New Jersey. Both offices are working limited hours just because we're trying to figure out what to do with patients who have mild symptoms. Currently, we're trying to shift all those visits to telehealth visits where we actively have doctors fielding these calls, giving guidance to patients, sending prescriptions if need be. And then if they're really sick and need further care, we send them to either an emergency room or an urgent care facility that has proper isolation rooms. 
Now, as you can imagine, the trickiest part of all this, if you have a patient walk into our office and we don't know that they're sick with COVID-19 and we find out that they're sick later into the visit, that's really problematic because now my entire office has potentially been infected. My staff has potentially been infected and then they may need to be quarantined. We need to shut the whole practice down. That is why anyone with mild symptoms we're directing away from our practice. Anyone that has an appointment for something like a checkup, we're saying, let's push this and see what happens with the virus. Anything elective, we're pushing away. Only urgent visits that are non-ill, meaning non-upper respiratory viral symptoms, we're taking. And the severe symptoms we're treating in the emergency room. However, we are in the process of setting up uh, some alternative testing sites like that they have in Colorado, where you pull up, get a swab done, get tested for the virus, and we could send it out and get results in a couple of days. Actually, probably four days, closer to four days. How does that work in a city where people are not driving? Yeah, I don't know how that would work in New York City. In New Jersey, we obviously have the flexibility of making that happen. Um, I will say that because there's so few cars out right now. I'm sure there are locations, whether it's in a park area, that we can have a drive-through setup like this. Usually it's done in a giant parking lot setting. Um, I don't know where we have that in New York City, but I, I could see that happening in the next days. Uh, the biggest limiting factor in this initially was testing kits. Now we have more of those. We have more labs performing the tests, but now it's personal protective equipment. Those N95 masks, the, the specific type of mask that doctors need to wear in order to not get sick if they're dealing with a patient who potentially has the virus, we don't have enough of those. And the federal government has been really slow to get us those masks. In fact, yesterday, what I spent the day doing, because yesterday is the day that I filmed my YouTube videos, I actually went on a mission to try and buy $50,000 worth of these masks to donate to my hospital because my hospital can't find them. But, you know, being someone that knows some people that know some people that may have some residual masks, we try to go out and buy these masks. And I think today we should be picking up, you know, several thousand of these masks to be able to help my hospital essentially stay open and functional. And it's crazy that I have to do that, that we don't have the federal government stepping in and getting us the supplies we need. I mean, yeah, my, my husband's a nurse practitioner in a hospital in New York City, and he he said half of his team like has to be quarantined because they came in con because he works in trauma. So the, the patients that come in aren't necessarily coming in for Corona, but could also have it. Yeah. And so half the team has to quarantine themselves because they're not sure if they have it or not and could continue spreading. And he's saying that apparently the CDC originally said that um, surgical masks are sufficient but really it's because that they didn't have enough to yeah. give. So it's just a really crazy scenario over there. There's like not enough providers treating patients because half of them are at home now quarantining. And it's just, it's just crazy the things he's texting me. Well, that's, that's the scariest part of all of this. It's not so much that this virus is going to get us all sick and we're going to suffer serious consequences. That's, it's really going to affect those over the age of 65, those with serious medical conditions. Um, it's not really even affecting children under the age of 10. Uh, it's not spreading if a, a woman is pregnant. It's not spreading to her fetus. At least we're not seeing that spread in the initial research. But what we are seeing is huge stresses being placed on the medical community and hospitals to the point where 
we won't have enough beds if it spreads fast enough. And that's why the social distancing, the staying at home is so, so important. This virus, what's unique about it is it infects many people very quickly. It's more infectious than the flu. Uh, on average, if someone gets the flu, they will only spread it to one other person. For this virus, they'll on average spread it to three people. So it spreads very quickly. And because of that, imagine the entire population of New York City, 8 million people are to get sick. Yeah, okay, let's say the severe cases are you know, 10% that need serious care. We don't have enough beds to treat all those people. And think about all the people that would come in as trauma cases, like you mentioned. They would need to go somewhere. Where would they get care if there's actively uh, all these beds being taken up by COVID-19 patients? So we need to shelter in place. We need to practice social distancing so that we can slow the spread of this virus, make sure that if people are getting it, they're getting it slowly, they're recovering, and the healthcare system can manage with those cases. He also said that a big problem is the amount of time it takes for the results to come in. So like all the patients who are waiting to find out, like the, the providers have to kind of, they don't know what to do like around those patients and it takes a, a long time. So it's, that's also an, like another layer of the problem. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've had patients before it's gotten this bad that, you know, had a viral condition, who knew what it was, we would test them for strep, for uh, flu, both would be negative. And they would ask, what, what should they do now? And I would say, you know, go home and quarantine yourself because you might have this virus. And that, that was at the point where we just didn't have testing kits. And I was telling patients to quarantine themselves that may or may not have had the virus. And like, it's crazy to say to someone, hey, don't leave your house for two weeks just on the whim. But that's what we had to do because we didn't want this virus to continue spreading. And I'll tell you what the reality of the situation is. Right now, the, the cases are spiking, especially here in New York City. They're like, this is the most cases we've had. Oh, man, if we really tested people from the beginning, the cases would be 10, 20, 30, 50 times higher than what they are now. I would venture to guess that there's probably tens of thousands of people who already had this virus and cleared it. So it's pretty crazy to know how much we don't know. It feels like cat food has been the same forever. Smelly, boring, made of mystery ingredients. That's why you've got to try Smalls. Smalls cat food is protein-packed recipes made with preservative-free ingredients you'd find in your fridge. And it's delivered right to your door. Make the switch from kibble and give your cat a meal they'll love. We actually sent some to my friend who is fostering kittens and it is the only thing they will eat. It comes in these pate packages and you scoop it and you just feel like you're a chef for your baby kitties and they j'adore it. Your cute kitty is descended from ferocious desert cats who hunted live prey. Even if your cat prefers to nap all day, they still need fresh protein-packed meals for a balanced and healthy diet. Other brands fill their food with mysterious meat byproducts, artificial flavoring, and preservatives with names I don't even want to try to pronounce. After switching it up to Smalls, 90% of cat owners reported overall health improvements. That's major. The team at Smalls is so confident your cat will love their product that you can try it risk-free. That means they'll completely refund you if your picky cat won't eat their food. Now is the time to make the switch to Smalls. Head to smalls.com DST and use promo code DST at checkout for 50% off your first order plus free shipping. That's the best offer you'll find, but you have to use my code DST for 50% off your first order. One last time, that's promo code DST for 50% off your first order plus free shipping, baby.
a lot of sense of how or when um, the testing situation might improve. Like if we're getting tests that can have a faster turnaround, if we're getting more tests. I saw that um, in places like South Korea where, or really just in South Korea where they have universal testing, they're able to slow it down much more effectively than when they're just testing people with mild or, or who are showing symptoms. So do you know if we're like making progress there? Well, we're de- we'll ever the biggest, have universal testing? The biggest challenge, um, like so testing is important for us to know what's going on. But as far as patients go, let's say you test and you don't have the virus. That doesn't mean you should now go outside and think you're okay because you can catch the virus five minutes later and be asymptomatic and not know and still be spreading it. Uh, the real value in testing is to make sure that we really quarantine people who are very sick, uh, those who have symptoms. They're, they're the main drivers of this pandemic. In South Korea, they had a little bit of an advantage because when SARS was around, the first SARS virus, they were close to China. They right away kicked into high gear into developing strategies to combat SARS. We weren't so much affected by SARS, so we didn't have the amount of the, the, the huge head start that they had in battling a virus of that sort. Because this virus is very similar to SARS. That's why we call it SARS-CoV-2, um, because they're a part of the same family. The, as far as where we go next, we're working on faster turnaround times. The idea is to get to a point where we can do a test in 24 hours. Um, we're getting close to that. That's going to be really promising. There are some reports of a test coming out of the Philippines that can be done in 20 minutes. The problem with a test like that is you want it to be very, very well verified to be accurate. The last thing you want to do is to do a test that is not sensitive enough to pick up mild cases, tell people they're okay, and then get all the doctors and nurses exposed to the virus. So we're working on making it faster. We definitely have more kits available. The real rate-limiting step here is where to do the tests. Because again, if we just have a massive influx of patients come into our office and we don't have equipment for all of them and for all of us, we would have to shut down our whole office and that would be very problematic. So once we figure out these drive-through situations on a mass scale, that's when you're going to see the numbers of diagnosis really shoot up. Right. So I would say the number one question we've been, that we've gotten is like, how long is this going to be? Um, and that's obviously sort of like impossible to predict, but how long do we have to socially isolate for and on a mass scale, how long might this last? And I've also read that there may be like a resurgence after people sort of like loosen up the social distancing or the quarantining. Is that a possibility? And how, like, what's your kind of like best estimate or just like educated you know, right now, opinion on that. don't know who has the virus or who had the virus, it's impossible to give an educated guess without full on just guessing and picking a random number. I will say what's promising to me, what keeps me optimistic is that in China right now, yesterday, for example, only one person caught the virus in China. One person in, in a single day. That's their lowest count that they've had since this whole thing started. So the fact that they were able to get it under control is really promising and hopeful that we can do the same thing here. 
Um, I was worried about the fact that would people stay home if they're ordered to? What would the economy do if that were to happen? And right now we seem to be managing that. We have to take it day by day as it's an evolving situation and learn from each situation. Like right now, I don't know how many people have it, but once these testing uh, facilities start kicking into high gear and we get a better sense of who has this virus, how do we keep them? Did we convert the hospitals in time to have more ICU beds so we can handle the demand? If this happens in a rapid succession, we can see this resolve sooner rather than later. And the, the biggest thing that I want to find out, and this is what research is ongoing, is for a potential treatment. There is a medication called remdesivir that's in trials here in the United States with the National Institute of Health. It's an antiviral medication that prevents the virus from, or at least interrupts the virus from replicating within our bodies. Because the way that this COVID-19 virus works or any virus works is it gets into your body, it gets into a cell, and then it uses your cell's inner workings to start copying itself. And then it spreads throughout your body. So what this medication would do, it would interrupt that process. And by interrupting that process, you would hopefully mitigate the complication rate, which means other infections, pneumonia, death, all of that. This medication is now in a uh, trial, and the preliminary results are very promising, that it's working very well, and we hope that continues. Because if we were to get a medication similar to what we have for the flu called oseltamivir or Tamiflu, that's the brand name, that would go a long way in helping patients not only stay healthy if one of their friends has it because it would prevent them from getting it, but it would also decrease the complication rate, decreasing the strain on our hospitals. Do we have a sense of how long that might, it might take for it to get into like production that it could be widely available and actually be a solution? The company that makes that medication is called Gilead and they've ramped up all, it's funny because it's not approved yet, but they're already ramping up production on a huge scale to be able to meet the demand once it is FDA approved. Um, in fact, this medication's already been used on a compassionate use basis. A compassionate use is basically when a patient's so sick and we have no other venues, we try experimental treatments that are still under research like this one, and the results have been promising there as well. So hopefully, I would put it uh, in a matter of months, as opposed to the vaccine, which would be at earliest, earliest, late next year. So I think this is really what's on the horizon that's going to make a huge difference. If we were to see the resurgence that you're talking about later this year in the fall, hopefully we would have that medication available to us. Already. That's the best news I've heard so far, honestly. <laughs> well, I think the best news is there's like 80,000 cases that have already recovered and are doing great post-virus. I think that's also really promising. So, right. Okay. Yeah. Um, do you know, do we know yet if it's possible to get reinfected after you've had it? Yeah. So that's another piece of research we're working on. Generally speaking, when you get a virus, your body not only fights off the virus, but also creates a memory of how to fight off that virus. For example, if you were to get the chicken pox, that's a once in a lifetime occurrence. You're not getting chicken pox again. Um, if you were to get the measles vaccination, that's it. 98% you're covered for the rest of your life. Other viruses like the flu, especially because it mutates so often, you get it and then you can get it next season again. So we don't know how long the immunity for this virus is going to last just because this virus is so new. That being said, if you were to get the virus, you definitely have some immunity. The question is for how long and how quickly does this virus mutate 
into a new strain that could reinfect you later. Because we keep saying this is the coronavirus, coronavirus. There are many different coronaviruses out there. In fact, you and I have probably had this coronavirus before. The common cold is caused by a coronavirus 30% of the time. So this is a very specific coronavirus called SARS-CoV-2. And the question is, how fast does it mutate into different strains to then cause us to get sick? And how serious are these strains? Perhaps it mutates into a weaker strain that doesn't require so much hospitalization or is not as severe. Only time will tell to give us that answer. So let's say it just let, we're, we're talking about like kind of the average person who's not sick, doesn't feel symptoms, is trying to socially distance, you know, doing all the things that we're, suppo- we're being told to do. How do we go about like our day to day? How do we go about grocery shopping or um, going to the pharmacy to buy stuff? We have dogs. I know you said you can walk around and that's okay. But how, like we're getting food deliveries in New York City. Like how, what is, what does precaution look like for that? And should we be wearing masks? Like, can you advise us on our day to day? I would avoid buying masks because this is personal protective equipment that we need in the hospitals. And we're desperately running short of these masks because people are buying them for protective use for their own self. Those surgical masks, what they're good for is for patients to wear when they are coming in coughing and sneezing in our offices to limit the spread of that virus. You wearing that surgical mask only gives you a marginal benefit to protect yourself from the virus. And the way that I see people use them, they put them on, they fix themselves on their face, they adjust the masks, they touch their face after touching the front of the mask. That makes the whole situation even worse because that's the exact opposite of what you should be doing. So I generally don't recommend wearing those masks um, unless you're sick and you're trying to prevent your cough and sneeze from traveling certain distances. Washing your hands often, often, often for at least 20 seconds with soap and water is number one. If a sink is not available, hand sanitizer is a second option. I know that's getting really expensive nowadays, so I don't know if that's feasible for most people. And then something very simple to do is if you're going to be going out, touching elevator buttons, do so with either a tissue, your elbow, something that's not going to make contact with your face later on because the, the second most common way to get this virus outside of getting the droplets into your mouth is to get it onto your fingers first and then make contact with your face accidentally later on. But by touching with your elbow, your hip, all that, you're decreasing that spread. If you never touch your face, like your mouth, your nose, your eyes and ears, are you like safer? Like, is that really kind of like the number one front line? Because if... Yeah, go ahead. The number one front line is to get it uh, from a direct sneeze or cough or interaction with another person. That respiratory droplet spread directly onto your mouth. The second is surface contamination. So you touch something with your hand, get it on your hand, and then get it, introduce it to t- by touching your face. The third is actually called fecal oral route. And we see patients that have this virus that when they use the restroom, the virus actually lives in the bathrooms because it, it, it lives inside your GI tract as well. Very low risk of that spread, but that's why we're recommending if you're sick and you're quarantined, you should really be the only one using your bathroom and not sharing it with other people because then that could spread the virus as well. How does it spread through the bathroom if you're like 
Like, how does that work? Well, again, yeah. you got to remember, these are tiny, tiny, tiny particles that we're talking about. So if you use the bathroom, uh, number two, then you flush, little particles get aerosolized every time you flush the toilet. So they get into the air, and then boom, you can get the virus to spread. I know it sounds funny, but this is absolutely true, and this is how this oh, thing That was me trying. <laughs> Just yeah. going back to Sammy's question, and then I want to go back to the grocery shopping because I have to go grocery shopping literally the next after this episode. Um, so, so people are saying so you're, it's respiratory, right? But but it can get through your eyes, and if it can get through your eyes, and our skin is very porous, can it not go through our skin? Can you explain just like kind of the science behind that? You're saying it's a respiratory disease, right? Mm-hmm. But it can go. It, and so we're covering our faces so because we're protecting our nose and our mouth. But people are also saying that you have to protect your eyes. Don't touch your yep. eyes because it can get through that. But is it technically, don't all of us have like minor cuts all over our skin, like different, um, like our body, our skin is porous. Just is, is it possible to get it that way? I don't know if that's a, a silly question. It's, but not, it's not a silly question. If you have a wound and someone sneezes on it, can you get sick? It's certainly possible. Um, that being said, is that how the virus is going to spread within our communities? No. The huge, huge, like for example, if I'm sitting in a room with someone who has the virus, what's more likely that they're going to get the virus into my cut on my elbow or they're going to get into my mouth that's constantly moving air in and out way, 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 way more likely into my mouth. So the, the, the cut situation, while feasible, maybe from uh, an anatomical or physiological standpoint, it's not something that we need to talk about on a grand scale. And the virus can't penetrate your skin if you have normal, healthy skin. Are you safe if you are like truly self-isolated? Are you safe from getting it if you're truly self-isolated and you're not touching your face and you're washing your hands consistently? Yeah. I mean, again, it's not a sci-fi movie. So if let's say you like hunker down and you don't leave your house at all. You can't get the virus. Okay. When we come home from being outside, should we be changing our clothes? Should we you should be, be like, washing, washing your hands. hands absolutely. Uh, the first thing you should do right away is wash your hands. If you're unpacking groceries, after unpacking the groceries, wash your hands. Like you really have to be vigilant. If you're touching anything from outdoors or think about it this way, if you're outdoors and you're touching something on yourself, like your cell phone, you should also remember to disinfect your cell phone as well. And I think Apple just released proper way to do that. So I think you can check that out on Apple's website. Oh, good. Wait, Speaking let's go to the grocery question. <laughs> should we be like Lysoling our groceries? Because they've been also touched by many people in the grocery store. Um, I think that you should wash your hands. I don't think you need to Lysol the groceries. <laughs> <laughs> what about someone delivers takeout? Should I be, I've been Clorox wiping anything that enters this house. So like the grocery, the takeout bags, I'm like, I might even stop ordering takeout. I'm not positive yet. (laughs) Well, you don't need to. Um, You don't need to stop ordering takeout. No. Okay. So when the takeout gets here, let's say we don't have contact with the person because Seamless now has contact free delivery. Yeah. But should we be like, like wiping the, the containers? I think what you should do is you should avoid touching the handles of the the packages, touch it from alternate areas. Um, If you're going to be opening any kind of container, try and wash your hands before you eat. Once you eat and the food is out on your plate, you're fine and you've already washed your hands. 
And if you're eating out of a container, let's say that's someone else's package, you can eat. And then as soon as you eat, wash your hands. Again, it's not going to magically come off the container and enter your face, like nose or mouth. Right. So right. You have to be the carrier for it. Is the risk of food preparation, assuming you do all those things, do we still have the risk that like the person preparing the food may have infected? Yeah, the, the, the food safety administrators of the world have said that that's not something we should be concerned about. Food okay. is heated up to a high temperature to kill viruses and bacteria. And the temperature that it looks like in order to kill this coronavirus is 140 degrees Fahrenheit or 60 degrees Celsius. So for example, if you do a high heat cycle uh, in your washing or dryer machines, that will kill it. Your dishwasher will kill it. Um, obviously, if you put it on an open flame when you cook, you will also destroy it. So uh, we, we are not overly concerned about that. Speaking of That's heat. That's good to know. I've been yeah. Yeah, very nervous. But also you have to think about like pizzas, like people go and like share pizzas with friends. When people take off slices, they touch other slices Pizza acts like a solid surface, so you can get it that way. Um, also, people talked about dogs. I know you guys love dogs. I have a dog. Uh, they're like, can dogs get it? It looks like the answer is no. Um, but that's not being said. But that being said, you have to think about it. if your dog goes outside and your dog is so so cute that everyone wants to pet your dog, and now you come home and you pet the dog. Now you whatever germs they had on their hands, you're going to get as well. This episode is brought to you by Newly. Have you ever felt that fast fashion ick but can't always find the super high end stuff? I have a solution for you Newly. Newly has everything you need to bring your closet up to speed for this season without breaking the bank. Free your closet of impulse purchases and skip the buyer's remorse by renting instead. Newly is a subscription clothing rental service. For just $98 a month, you get your choice of any six styles each month. Access to thousands of styles from more than 400 brands. There are no fees, late fees, damage fees, or fees to pause or cancel. They also have inclusive sizing up to 5X as well as petite and maternity. And you always have the option to buy what you love. I love Newly. I've rented so many cute things from there, and I've even made a few purchases from there. And they're always spot on. They have so many brands that I honestly could never afford in real life. So it's great to be able to rent them. Newly is a great value at $98 a month for any six styles. But right now, you can get $20 off your first month of Newly when you sign up with the code DST20. Just go to Newly, that's N U U L Y dot com, and enter the code DST20 and sign up to get $20 off your first month. That's N-U-U-L-Y dot com, newly with two U's, with code DST20. Newly subscription clothing rental. Change your clothes. I'm just going back to the heat question for a second. There's definitely a lot of speculation like, oh, this will go away in the summer because the heat will kill it. And you, like you said, like UV light does weaken it. Yep. Is there validity to the con to the uh, the speculation that it could go away in the summer, or is that just like wishful thinking? It's part wishful thinking, part educated guess. Um, two things happen in the summer that uh, keep me optimistic. One is people spend less time indoors, and again, the sun disinfecting the outdoors is great, so that they're not everyone's in close proximity getting one another sick. Uh, second, what happens is it's more humid in the summer. 
And when it's more humid, that germ hang time we talked about, it's less effective. So the germs don't hang around as long in the air, uh, especially indoors. So that will also be beneficial in decreasing the viral spread. That being said, it's very possible that the summer may slow down the virus, but then come cold weather season later, it can come back. We don't know if that's exactly how it's going to play out because who knows how many people have had this virus and now immune to it. We don't know. So we really have to just play it safe. And I think with all of these pandemics that we've experienced, the lesson that we've learned is before the pandemic, you, you say we're doing too much. And then after the pandemic, you say we should have done more <laughs> uh, because there's no ever perfect way of handling these things. They evolve and you have to make adaptations really, really quickly and on the go. Okay. Um, for, so since we're not on like total lockdown yet, um, a lot of people have been asking, um, what should they do if they can't work from home? Assuming they're not a healthcare worker, um, mm -hmm. but for whatever reason, they can't work from home and they need to go to work and they need to commute and, you know, kind of do all the normal things that life entails. Mm -hmm. How should that person be like taking precautions and acting in that situation? Um, Distancing as much as you can from other people during the commute. Uh, the, the general rule, and it's not a perfect rule, but it's a good general rule, is six feet away from another person. If someone is coughing or sneezing, you want to get away from them as soon as possible because that is obviously a red flag. Touching the commonly uh, contact surface points, like on a subway, the railings, hold a tissue while you do that. Wear gloves because if you're going to wear gloves, and I don't mean like surgical gloves, I mean like leather gloves even, you're less likely to touch your face with gloves like that. So even if you get the gloves dirty, you can wash them afterwards, but you're not going to be making contact with your face. So whatever you can to decrease your ability to touch the virus and keeping distance away from being able to inhale the virus, that's the best things you can do to protect yourself. Oh, that's... That's helpful. Um, what about if you do feel like you might have some symptoms? Um, what, like very, very mild. Yep. Some, someone's asking, what should you do in that scenario? I mean, besides going, besides obviously not going to work or, you know, get, going outside, like should you, can you take Advil? Should you take Tylenol? Um, what are some things that you can do? Well, first things first, you should call your health provider and let them know of the symptoms that you're having. And based on our current algorithm, we'll sort of guide where they should go, what they should be on the lookout for. Um, the number one thing is if the symptoms start getting worse, you should head to your local ER, but please call ahead first. That's really important. Um, as far as symptomatic management, it really depends on the person. There was a report that came out from France that ibuprofen can somehow make the symptoms of this virus worse. Now, it's not clear if this study is correlation or causation, meaning that were people that were having worst case of the virus taking more ibuprofen, or was it taking more ibuprofen led them to have more serious cases? It's unclear. But to be safe and sorry, take acetaminophen, which is a brand name Tylenol. Uh, that is a fever reducer, pain reducer that can make you more comfortable. The WHO says, again, to be safe and sorry, use that instead. What would be a symptom for you to feel that you think that you need to go to the ER, like as opposed to just staying home and trying to get healthy on your own? Um, very high fevers, uh, uncontrollable cough, uh, shortness of breath, 
shortness of breath is one of those symptoms that you want to get checked out right away. Because if you get to the point where you need to be on ventilator support at home and you don't have one, that's a really bad situation. So if you feel like your shortness of breath is getting worse and to each person that could mean something different to an elite marathon runner, uh, walking across the hall, getting shorter breath is a really bad sign. But to someone who already has baseline COPD, maybe getting short of breath, walking across the hall is the norm. So it really depends person to person what shortness of breath means to you. But if you feel it, you call, you describe your symptoms to your provider, and they'll be the ones to guide you. Really, this has opened up the way for telehealth to be on the front lines. I've always been skeptical about telehealth because I think nothing replaces a visit with a doctor, a true physical exam. But in a time like this where you have an infectious process widespread, this is the role for telehealth. I just have one more question on this kind of the same topic. So say, again, back to the symptoms, say you don't have them. Is there anything you can be taking like emergency or any type of vitamins? Some people are asking um, to help prevent getting symptoms or getting sick. Yeah. So immune boosting supplements do not exist. I hate to burst everyone's bubble and I hate to be that person who is like, oh no, the thing I was taking that I thought was keeping me safe doesn't actually do anything. But in reality, it doesn't. All of these marketing companies, what they do is they find some level of research and they really corrupt it. For example, if you were to have a vitamin C deficiency, you're low on vitamin C, which we just don't see unless you have a very rare genetic condition, you follow some very obscure diet, or as we saw hundreds of years ago, you were a pirate. That's who would get vitamin C deficiency because they would be on ships for so long. They would get something called scurvy. Um, Taking more vitamin C will not help you in this scenario. Um, Taking zinc will not help you. A lot of people are buying really expensive zinc lozenges. Will not help you in this scenario. There is no evidence of that. Unless you have, again, a very rare zinc deficiency, which we do not see in the modern world. Um, How this came about, let's take zinc as an example. A study has come out a few weeks ago, really good study. And the title of the study was Zinc interrupts replication of novel coronavirus. Great title. If I'm a marketing person, I'm going to use that title and sell zinc lozenges. However, I'm a doctor. I read the study. Within the study, what did the researchers find out? They found out that if they inserted zinc into cells, because the zinc naturally doesn't just enter cells, they found out it, re- it stops the replication of the virus. In order to insert the zinc into the cell, they had to create an artificial pore for the zinc to enter into the cell. By taking a zinc lozenge, you are not doing that whole process. You are simply sucking on a lozenge that's going to get peed out, and it's not going to do the work that they were able to do by creating that artificial pore. So whoever's trying to sell you those things is strictly trying to make money off you or to come off as if they have some novel cure that no one else has told you about. It's not true. Don't spend your money on that, especially nowadays when people aren't going to work. They have limited funds. Use your money elsewhere. So then, so if there are no immune boosting supplements, what can we do, especially now everybody's lost their day-to-day routine, what can we do to stay healthy through natural remedies, like such as eating, like what through their diet or... or Yeah, I I have like four pillars that I think, it's usually three pillars, but I've extended it to four. Um, First is really focusing on good quality sleep, seven to nine hours at the same time. Try and avoid taking long naps throughout the day because that can interrupt your sleep cycle at night. Um, if you get less than six hours of sleep, 
it cuts your natural killer cells, which are one of your main sources of your immune system, by 50%. So if you're not sleeping enough, you're making yourself vulnerable to this virus. Um, second, eating healthy. That means high amounts of fruits and vegetables because there's all sorts of nutri nutrients and chemicals, good chemicals like phytochemicals that will help your immune system stay in good shape. Exercise. Just because your gyms are closed, does that mean you can't work up a sweat? Do a program on the TV. Do a program on your iPhone. There are countless classes online that you could take for free on YouTube. Uh, go for a long walk. Uh, walk your dog for a longer walk than you normally can. Uh, so there's definitely ways you can exercise that boosts your immune system in a healthy way by keeping it balanced. And the final one is do not engage in bad habits. Bad habits, specifically heavy drinking. It's really, really easy to be like, oh, I'm quarantined. It's wine time. Let's get a few glasses of wine in me. That's really problematic. We've seen certain cells in your body that do not work as well when there's alcohol present, again, making you vulnerable. And if you're going to be drinking alcohol at night, that ruins your stages of sleep, the progression of the stages of sleep. So when you wake up, you might sleep the normal amount of hours. You might even fall asleep better with alcohol. But you're not going to wake up well-rested, and your immune system is going to suffer as a result. Another bad habit, smoking. Get it out of there. It makes you more susceptible to catching viruses because it weakens the layer of the lining of your lungs and your airways. So you want to make sure that you're following these four pillars of health, not to boost your immune system, because boosting your immune system to me sounds counterintuitive. For example, if you have allergies or you have an autoimmune disease like psoriasis or Crohn's, those are boosted immune conditions where your immune system is working too hard and it's out of whack. If you have an immunosuppressant condition like HIV, that's also really bad. So we don't want to boost your immune system. We want to optimize it. Got it. Speaking of the immunosuppression situation, um, what about pregnant women? What, how does this affect you if you are pregnant? Should people be trying to get pregnant in the next few months? <laughs> well, that's a heavy question. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of babies born out of this quarantine just because when there's nothing to do and all else fails, I feel like love is a good answer. Um, right now, as far as vertical transmission goes, uh, to explain what vertical transmission is, when a, a pregnant mother has a fetus, a baby, what's the likelihood of her spreading the virus to the fetus? Based on our early research, it's reassuring it's not spreading. That's good. That being said, if you're pregnant, that is a stressful state for the body and can make you more vulnerable to viruses. So it does raise your risk, but it's a calculated risk. Meaning, if you're okay with that risk and you want to have this baby, you should be okay to take that risk. Every time you cross the street, you're taking a level of risk. But you know what that risk is. You know that a car can come, not hit the brakes, but you accept that level of risk because you want to cross the street. So the same thing goes with pregnancy. Does it increase your risk? Sure, because it's a stressful state. But if you weigh the risk for its benefits for yourself, you're making an individual decision, more power to you. Do you see any issues with um, pregnant, like let's say, you know, with delivery rooms and that sort of thing, if the healthcare system is really overwhelmed? Yeah, again, another risk because you're going to be coming into a hospital where, you know, there's illnesses in hospitals. Uh, one of the main reasons patients always ask, why do doctors want to get me out of the hospital when I'm admitted? Like every day we're like, how do we get this patient to go home? The reason why is because the hospital has viruses and bacteria. 
it's all over the place. Yes, we do our best to wash our hands, but there's even a name for this in scientific research called nosocomial infections. These are infections that you get just by being in the hospital. So yes, we want to send people home from the hospital. We don't want them spending times there. And especially during an outbreak, that makes even more sense. So it certainly is a risky time, uh, but it's something that we're working on. We're trying our best to protect patients. And as the situation evolves, we'll learn more. All right. Well, that was so helpful. Is there anything that you feel like people should know just that we haven't touched on? Just yes. From experience? They should not trust sources online, even on TV or from certain politicians, unless it's a statement made by a reputable organization or health professional. So if you see someone tweeted, oh my God, there's a cure. Oh my God, don't do this. Or here's the secret. Do not believe it just because it has a lot of likes or retweets. This has been happening with chain letters being retweeted, re-emailed, retexted to one another. Do not believe these things. Look to the CDC, WHO, or your trusted health professional for information and nowhere else. All right. So that was extremely, extremely helpful. If anybody has any questions for Dr. Mike, feel free to, how should they contact you over Instagram? Yeah. Instagram, uh, Twitter. I'm very active on Twitter answering questions there. And I'm real Dr. Mike on Twitter. Doctor is spelled out. Great. So if anybody has any questions, email, feel free to send him a tweet <laughs> or um, an, a DM, but let's do some non-scale wins because this is DSD after all. Okay, cool. So, Dr. Mike, do you want to share a DSD before we share one from uh, one of the community members? Sure. Um, I, I'm going to use my win that yesterday I spent all day trying to secure masks for my hospital. And while uh, I may not get the full amount that I want, it looks like today I will be able to get at least a few thousand masks, which will allow us to keep our departments functioning, uh, even the, the OBGYN department. So if anyone has babies, we will be protected and we'll still be able to keep those departments open. That's great. You are literally saving lives. <laughs> I don't know how um, we'll beat that non-scale win. <laughs> I'll, I'll, let, I'll read one from, uh, from a DST or sent one in. Um, hi, Sammy and Aileen, podcast listener and lover from South Africa. My non-scale win for the week, I did not feel like going to the gym and was fully about to cuddle up in bed and eat chocolate chip pancakes when I decided to rather go for a long walk and listen to this week's podcast episode. It wasn't quite the sweaty gym set session I should have done, but it was definitely the movement my body needed and left me feeling great. Thanks for the podcast podcast and making me realize that all my diet related thoughts are normal and I am not alone. Oh, that's nice. Oh, I feel nice. like now is the time more than ever to kind of keep moving because we can get just like stuck. Like now that we're all it's so like much harder working from home, it's like, it's hard not to get sucked in. There's a lot of inertia, I think with like never really leaving your house and being encouraged to never do so. It's made working out like so much harder. Yeah. At least for me. What, a, so what about so you? Your, oh, you go. Okay. Mine is that um, I joined Cameo to raise money for, for World Central Kitchen. Um, we like know the guy who, whatever, he works, some guy who works there. 
Um, and he'd kind of been like asking us to go on, but when he asked me this time and said like, you can send people, um, cameos and they'll go to, and you can like have it, the money be donated. Um, I said, okay, so I'm going to be doing that. I got like a lot of requests last night. I was really surprised, but now I have to record all these videos (laughs) and some of them are like kind of heavy, like, you know, the, what they're saying that, you know, that why they're sending it to the friend. Um, so if you want me to send you a cameo, my username is Sammy Fishbine <laughs> and $15 gets donated to World Central Kitchen, which is Jose Andres' organization um, that feeds the hungry anytime I send you a cameo. So <laughs> I'll send you a nice little message and you'll raise money for World Central Kitchen. I was thinking of maybe setting a goal for money raising, but... I was thinking maybe like a thousand in two weeks since it's like 15 per video and I need to That's space it out. <laughs> that seems reasonable. Yeah. Um, I might, I might set that as a goal. So we'll see. Aileen, what's yours? You can't set a goal after the fact. <laughs> no, but I might set it as a goal like tomorrow or something. <laughs> when yeah. I see how it goes. <laughs> um, my win, I don't know if it's a win yet, but we're working on it. Um, so as I said, Rusty, my husband works in a hospital and it's giving me a lot of anxiety. Like I've been nonstop texting Sammy about it. Um, you, so you. He, he obviously has a lot of anxiety about it too, but I'm trying to stay calm. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's my win is that like, if, if it happens, it happens, you know, it's more likely for me to get it than a lot of people. It's more likely for him to get it than a lot of people. So I'm just gonna go with the flow and use all the precautions I could possibly do. And yeah, that's my win. Aline, I love it. I want you to really dig in and love this line, alert, not anxious. I want you to live that example. Thank you. That is what I'm I'm doing. Like I just, I'm just gonna go on just doing everything that you, every, all of everybody says you should do, just take precautions. And if he has it, then we're quarantined. <laughs> but, <laughs> but then we get I hope he's sick. okay. I'm really thinking about him. And really everyone who's like, I mean, if you're, you're on the front lines. Like, Rusty's on the front lines of the pandemic. It's really crazy. Dr. Mike, you're also on the front lines. You're I know. Yeah. Bear was worried about me the other day. He was telling me to watch out. Oh, yeah. Yeah, has been extra cuddly. <laughs> it's like they know there's a pandemic. They know. Also, the dogs are so lucky. Like, they just get to have us around all the time. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's true. More bonding time. Yeah. Right. Well, I, I saw on Twitter someone put out a thing like activities to do during quarantine. One, pet your dog. Two, wash your dog. Three, say hi to your dog. And it's just like a list of 40 things to do with your dog. Oh, literally, here's my dog sleeping on the floor. You can see behind <laughs> yeah. me. Yeah. <laughs> Passed out. Yeah. Um, all right. So, well, thank you so much for joining us in this episode, giving everyone the information that they were looking for because I'm, there's so much confusion, especially on the internet, on Instagram. And um, yeah, thanks so much, Dr. Mike. Yeah, of course. Thank you for doing this, guys. I appreciate it. Yeah. yeah this and- episode was super informative. 
Cool. Very informative. And if you have more questions for Dr. Mike, feel free. Like he said, send him a tweet, send him a DM. Um, we're going to be doing some social on our channels with you. So everybody go check out Die Starts Tomorrow on Betches. And if you I have- I think it'll be on YouTube also. And YouTube. And um, yes, and continue- tuning in to all of our podcasts. We're still recording. We're doing our best here remotely um, to provide you all the quarantinement <laughs> you um, deserve. And yeah, stay safe. And Sammy, should we do our sign off? We should do our sign off okay. more than ever now. We're always with you. Through thick and thin and Corona. And pandemics. <laughs> Diet Starts Tomorrow is hosted by Aileen Cooperman and Sammy Fishbein. Our editor is Sean Kilby. Our podcast producers are Mike Coscarelli, Sean Kilby, and Carly Rice. And artwork is by Brittany Levine. Be sure to follow us at Diet Starts Tomorrow on Instagram and email your questions and non-scale wins to dst at betches.com. Betches.